Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. In this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, answering a question that an emailer has. Um, we've got uh, a little bit of uh, Phoebe uh, Draper mailbag, and uh, we actually have a LinkedIn message. This is the first LinkedIn message that, we, that we've received. In I don't believe our show has a LinkedIn. <laughs> well, our show doesn't. Okay, uh, that but, makes me feel uh, better. But I, but I do, and uh, so friend of so the this show. Is all part of your secret plot to take over the show. <laughs> so friend of the show, Damien, uh, sent me a LinkedIn message, and this this message uh, is sponsored by Goldman Sachs because we want to want to no, hire them. No, because they'll sue us. <laughs> yeah. All right. This it's is not by sponsored by KPMG. Um, so he says, uh, T-shirt ideas. Next year, your church history trip should be to Nauvoo, Iowa, and Missouri. I've been to all of those places except Missouri's western locations. Uh, T-shirt, uh, Misery Loves Company, or Missouri Loves Company. That's, that's hilarious. It's very funny. Missouri, 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 loves, Missouri company. loves Company. Also, That's from their state tourism board. <laughs> yeah, show me some m- misery. Also, uh, your uh, new sports betting podcast should be called Genrish and the Duck on Hot 99, the end zone. I don't know. That was the funniest. We, when, I, when I read that to Garrett the first time. It was very we, funny. It was very funny. Um, t-shirt, what's the over-under on Genrish and the Duck? Lastly, uh, presidential campaign t-shirt, Dick Miat and Ledurk 2024, make townships great again, and or Tippecanoe and Dirkmont 2, and or... Uh, no rice tariffs without representation. Boy, those were all good. Damien, it's very, very, very I, funny. I feel like Damien uh, may may run a marketing company of some <laughs> It's kind. almost as though he does. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Um, by the way, so just just as a quick aside, we, we got a couple um, uh, playful emails, uh, and I, I received several texts. On the last couple of free episodes that we had on Thursday Drops, where we um, released previously premium content... Uh, for the the great unwashed, the great unwashed <laughs> for the, the masses, masses. Um, for everyone listening to this podcast. By the way, <laughs> Richard likes to do his insulting in broad spectrums. Well, so so uh, again, um, we apologize for the those that are premium um, uh, members. We certainly appreciate uh, you subscribing. But a couple of things with that, um, and I felt like we explained it, but let me go ahead and explain it again. The first is is that it was two episodes that were much older episodes, and part of the reason for that is that one of them was specifically around the beginning of the apostasy, which was a very popular episode by essentially my son and his friends as they're getting ready to go on missions to have a better context for what was being restored. And then the other one was uh, DNC Section 4. There was a little bit more to that. I think it was Harmony Part two or three or whatever, um, on uh, the Crinkling Leaves uh, episodes, um, holy places from our past. And the other part to that is that we also wanted for people who've never listened to the premium to get a little bit of a listen to what that is like so that they just solidified in the fact that they're never going to do it. Yeah, yeah. So they know, oh, this is premium content? Somehow it seems worse. Yes. (laughs) So... um, Anyway, so that that just a little bit on that. We appreciate uh, the the comments that we received from people who were able to listen to those for the first time. Well, and we did receive some. Con- some people were concerned that that we were already going phoning it in. We were already oh. going into syndication. Yeah, right. That we were like, well, we're not producing anything new. We're just going to start doing replays every <laughs> week. We're done. <laughs> so those were very for very specific reasons, and now you're back to the normal garbage that you get on. I, I was uh, uh, leading a, a tour last week um, uh, to the Holy Land, and uh, 
one of the people on that tour um, was a big fan of the show. And uh, I I told him, I said, you know, we occasionally get people who say, well, I feel like you guys kind of laugh around too much. And, and my, my wife. Yeah. Sometimes Becky, Becky says that you guys laugh around too much. And uh, and this uh, this guy said, "Oh man, please don't stop laughing around." I mean, that's he's like, I, I need to hear you guys making fun of a betting show and and uh, joking around about things like that. He's like, I listen to the podcast because I want to want it to be kind of light. I want it to be fun at the same time that I'm learning something. So I apologize that we're neither fun or teaching anyone anything, but still, that's the goal. Still, so what was what was uh, some of your favorite parts about? Uh, did you have a couple things no, that really stood out there? I, everything's. I, I mean, for a historian to go to the Holy Land is. I mean, you're. Yeah. It, it's it's like anabolic steroids to them. I mean, they it, it's just you're just so hopped up the whole time because everywhere you look is something like. And even things that other people don't care about, you know, other people are there to like, I want to find the stone that Jesus walked on. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm look, I also want to do that. I also want to do that. I got, I did get a text. I did get a text from our friend, Lisa, who sent me a picture of you. And he's like, he's talking about Roman emperors again. <laughs> she did? Oh yeah. Oh, you never told oh, it's so great. She never told me that. Well, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, other people are like, is this one of the stones that Jesus actually walked on? And I was like, in 1500s, <laughs> Solomon the Magnificent reconstructed the city wall. He wanted, <laughs> and you know, I don't know if that's the spiritual experience everyone was looking for. We did the other stuff too. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, the other stuff. We did Bethlehem, <laughs> Nazareth. You know, that's the other stuff. The other stuff. No, so it sounds it sounds amazing. No, it was honestly in in all seriousness, there were some really spiritual experiences, and and it is great to go. I mean, I think when you travel to places where holy things happened, it helps you better understand things. I mean, we went up onto an overlook uh, that you could you could see Jerusalem at the very top of you know the the hills essentially. And down through the valley of the road that leads all the way down, 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 down to Jericho. And it is rugged and it is windy and it is, I mean, you know, just looking at it made you want to be a bandit jumping out because no one would be able to detect you. And so uh, I don't know that I'll ever, you know, think about the... uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan the same again, because now I can envision it. I could actually see Jerusalem and I actually see Jericho in the distance. And you could actually, you could easily see what a treacherous journey that must have been all those years ago. So I think it's the same way when you're talking about documents. You know, when I go and present places, I try to show people some of Joseph Smith's actual letters. Not not because I, I'm worried that they're thinking I'm just making it up. You know, Joseph Smith said this, and I'm just like, you know, I'm just writing it in as I speak. Joseph Smith said, you know, take the Niners, you know, <laughs> for early season favorites. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what people will think Joseph Smith said. But um, there's there's power in those actual documents, in actually seeing his handwriting. It connects you to him as a real person in a way that no, you know, word document does. And I think that's the same thing when you travel to these places. Uh, it, of course, I don't actually have to go to the Kirtland Temple to have a testimony that Jesus appeared there. But when you're standing in it, the fact that Jesus appeared there is suddenly all the more real and all the more powerful. I think that's kind of the way it is when people travel to the Holy Land. Uh, I don't know if the place where they built the church over the the supposed cave that that Jesus was born in in Bethlehem is really the actual cave. But I know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and most likely it would have been in a cave. And you know, th- the reality of that. And the the centuries long veneration of him by these other Christians, our fellow brothers and sisters who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, I mean, there's there's power even in that. So 
Sometimes you don't know exactly where everything comes from. Sometimes you don't know, you know, is this actually, you know, the, 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 the same location of where Joseph's house would have been in Nazareth? Well, sometimes we don't know that for a certainty. But we know that Nazareth existed. We know that it was a place where Jesus grew up. We know that, that the Lord, you know, waxed and, and grew in, the, in, in wisdom of God and men until he became all that he was intended to become. And, and being in those places, I think, sometimes helps you, helps you visualize these things and, and can very much give you a spiritual experience where you, you internalize what you already know. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's very cool. Um, so on with the show, uh, we will. We don't quite have the name for this episode yet, but I feel like as we've done a little bit of prep here. There was a sixty minutes episode back in two thousand seventeen about some kids in a very rural part of Franklin County, Mississippi, and a teacher comes in, and uh, it sounds like a movie almost. A teacher comes in who loves chess, and uh, he teaches these. Kind of that, that's the reason why it's not a movie. <laughs> Teaches these yeah. these rural. If this, a, if this was a football game, <laughs> if this was, if then there would be nineteen movies made out of it. If this was football, but well, so so I don't I don't remember exactly how. I think my wife watched it and she loved it, and she had me watch it, and then I had our kids. It was family night lesson about these these country bumpkins from. Uh, from you know Franklin County, Mississippi, middle. We of apologize to all of the Aries living in Missouri. <laughs> this is not a reference to you. No, no. Of course. Speaking as a country bumpkin, by the way, right? Yeah, so both of us are from Idaho. <laughs> yeah, people in Franklin, Missouri, are thinking, yeah, we have running water. You know, well, this is Mississippi, yeah. Franklin County, Mississippi. Oh, Mississippi. Oh, okay, yeah. even worse. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm just we, we have no listeners oh, I, in Mississippi. I, yeah, okay. There's no question. M- Mississippi, my bad. Yes. So um, anyway, th- they have an interview. So th- this guy teaches them chess. These kids love chess. Teaches them strategy, and they become very, very good. So this really small, super rural school becomes world-renowned for chess. And so they'll go to these big tournaments in New York or Los Angeles, Chicago, wherever, and they'll crush these preparatory schools in these chess tournaments. And they have this kid, and he, he's got to be like 12 or 13 years old. And he says on – How is he dressed? It's like flip-flops and a tank top and, you know, and you know whatever. It's what, What's the over-under on his teeth? <laughs> the tank top's from Piggly Wiggly, right? Okay, right. Right. And nothing wrong with Piggly Wiggly. It's a wonderful uh, establishment. But so he says, he says, I just love crushing people's spirits. I just love crushing people's spirits. <laughs> and my my family, we say that all the time. They just love crushing, crushing people's spirits. spirits. Like we're not good enough at anything to actually do it, but um but anyway, it's a funny it's a funny line. And the reason that I say that is because that's what this episode's going to be. About crushing people's about spirits. About you crushing people's spirits. So, uh speaking of going on tours, um Angie always gives a, a pretty big caveat, well, a, a disclaimer to all the people on the tour bus when we first start. She always tells people, look, you can ask him any question, but you need to know this, that I call Garrett the dream crusher. And then I always interject and say, she's only talking about our marriage. Right now. <laughs> you know, that I've, I've crushed all the hopes and plans of her of our marriage with her. But and she, what she'll go on to say is that, well, Garrett will tell you whether or not there actually is a source behind the thing that you think. And so sometimes people really think that something happened or happened a certain way. And if you ask him about it, he's not going to lie to you about it. <laughs> he's going to say, yeah, we have no record of that actually happening. So don't ask him. If you don't want to know. If you don't really want to know. Now, some people think they want to know. But they just want you to validate the thing that they already believe. In fact... Most of the time, <laughs> most of the time, when people ask questions about something from history, what they are really asking is, can you reiterate for me how right I was about <laughs> the thing that I always believed? Right. That's right. And so so this email comes to us from Jeff. First of all, Jeff, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we're about to... We're not going to crush it. This is not a crushing. This no, is no, more no. of a, maybe a glancing blow. Yeah. 
Right, right. But then you've got another potential one that we get to. Maybe. That, that we'll see. Well, if, I mean, if at this point, time. we're going to do whatever we can to not get to it. Okay. All right. So, uh, so Jeff, subject, Joseph Smith's statement. First of all, big thank you to both of you for all of your work on this. I really enjoyed the content, even the sports lines. Uh, at this time, I'd like to refer you again to President Hinckley's April 2005 talk on gambling. Yeah, that's and not from Jeff. That's from us. No, that's from us. That's a, a statement. Disclaimer to everyone listening, do not gamble. Do not gamble. Do not gamble. That said, uh, the NBA playoffs are going on right now. Literally as we speak. As we speak. Uh, the Lakers started at... Um, plus 2200 and are now at plus 380 380 wow now for those of you who don't necessarily understand what that means it means let's say i was to give garrett a hundred uh uh seashells or (laughs) or you know whatever candy bars i give garrett a hundred candy bars um at the beginning of the playoffs if the lakers won the championship he would give me back 2200 candy bars plus my 100 candy bars now, the Lakers, if I was to give him 100 candy bars, he would give me back um, 400, well, my 100 plus the, the 380 well, candy you, bars. Well, if you were to give me 100 candy bars, I would eat 100 <laughs> candy bars. That's right. Regardless of whether the Lakers do <laughs> anyway, well. So that many people don't understand what th- those odds mean, and I wanted to explain it in terms of friendly entertainment candy bars. Sure. Anyway, thanks, Jeff. That's a little bit of a tangent. I had a question. I'd hope, uh, again... 2005, President Hinckley, April 2005, conference talk. I have a question I'd hope you can answer. I've read and memorized an obscure statement. I know I shouldn't use such things, but I taught this in many lessons I gave as a young single adult. That is found in October 1949 general conference given by Marion G. Romney. He states, We might take a lesson from an account given by the prophet of a vision of the resurrection in which he records that one of the saddest things he had ever witnessed was the sorrow of members of the church who came forth to a resurrection below that which they had taken for granted they would receive. Um, If you have access to old conference reports, uh, like my dad, he said page 43, if you have old conference reports. I don't know why he thinks that I would have those. You have all of the old conference reports. Okay. Anyway, I have often wondered... What he was quoting from. I have tried searching the Joseph Smith Papers website, but with no luck. I am wondering if you or any of your colleagues who worked on the project have ever come across anything like this statement and can lead me to what was exactly said. Thanks again. If nothing comes of this question, I still appreciate your podcast. Maybe a satisfactory answer will drive me to open my wallet for the premium content. Uh, now I know why we're answering this question. Yes. Yes, right. It's Not sponsored it's funny, by we got, like, we got, Goldman like, Sachs. Literally hundreds of questions. We get hundreds and hundreds of questions. Richard's like, we got to answer this one. Why do we got to answer this one? No reason. Uh, no reason. I like I just, it. I like I Jeff. F- I like the cut of Jeff's I, I feel like Jeff. Jeff really speaks to me with this question. With an obscure Marion G. Romney quote, that's what speaks to you? From page 43 of the 1949 well, uh, conference I mean, address. So, you know, we actually get a considerable number of questions that are uh, that are like this. Maybe not exactly uh, something like this, but, you know, we've already answered some of them on the podcast where people say, you know, I've always heard this. Where does it come from? And I actually get these questions all the time just professionally. You know, outside, I do have a life outside of the podcast, right? Um, and it 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 is often in the same regard of where does this actually come from? And you'll note from some of our previous podcasts, we've tried to track some things down, like where Joseph Smith talked about, uh, you know, someone killing themselves to get into the celestial kingdom, right? We, 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 we talked about that. When you find something that is a conference talk that a, a general authority has stated, um, or, or anyone, you know, uh, any authority or, or auxiliary back in the day when it was uh, leader of the church is, is quoting something, it's almost always a good bet that there is something published that they are quoting from. Now, that, that may not be always, and certainly when they're sharing a personal story, well, then that's probably not published at all. All right, if someone says, well, my friend said this to me, well, then then maybe there's not written anywhere. It's just their friend actually said it. And so that's kind of the first place you go to look. 
You are right. That, I mean, look, a great place to try to determine the veracity of, of a quote like that is uh, going to the Joe Smith Papers website and placing portions or at least some of the keywords of that quote into the search and seeing what comes up. As you indicated, you weren't able to really find that. <clears throat> and so already when I hear the quote, because I hadn't memorized it and shared it many times as, as you had, um, when I hear the quote, the first thing that I thought when I read your email was, I don't think Joseph said exactly that. But that, that said, though, Marion G. Romney did say Marion exactly. G. Romney did say it, you know. And now he, of course, doesn't have quotes around which portion Joseph said, you know, he, he related. You know, he, it, it seems, you know, uh, that Elder Romney's um, paraphrasing, right, that he's saying, you know, you need to remember what Joseph saw in his vision. Now, there are a couple aspects of that that are obviously pretty spot on. Uh, Joseph did have multiple visions of the resurrection. Um, those visions, in fact, are pretty powerful. We've, uh, in our previous podcast, we've shared uh, some of those, but let me just share a little bit of it with you so that you can you can hear again that vision. And this is a topic that Joseph Smith really does speak a lot about. The resurrection is is one of his favorite topics. Um so I could pick a lot of things, but I will read this part of, of one of his quotes on it. He says, Would you think it strange if I relate what I have seen in vision in relation to this interesting theme? Those who have died in Jesus Christ may expect to enter into all that fruition of joy when they come forth, which they have possessed or anticipated here. So plain was the vision that I actually saw men before they had ascended up from the tomb as though they were getting up slowly. They took each other by the hand and they said to each other, my father, my son, my mother, my daughter, my brother, my sister. And when the voice calls for the dead to arise, suppose I am laid by the side of my father. What would be the first joy of my heart to be, to meet my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, and when they are by my side, I embrace them and they me. It is my meditation all the day and more than my meat and drink to know how I shall make the saints of God comprehend the visions that roll like an overflowing surge before my mind. Oh, how I would delight to bring before you things which you've never thought of, but poverty and the cares of the world prevent. But I am glad that I have the privilege of communicating to you some things, which if grasped closely will be a help to you when earthquakes bellow, when the clouds gather, the lightnings flash, and the storms are ready to burst upon you like the peals of thunder. Lay hold of these things, and let not your knees or joints tremble, nor your hearts faint. And then what can earthquakes, wars, and tornadoes do? Nothing. All your losses will be made up to you in the resurrection, provided you continue faithful. By the vision of the Almighty, I have seen it. More painful to me than the thoughts of annihilation, than death, is if I had no expectation of seeing my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and friends again. My heart would burst in a moment, and I should go down to my grave." The expectation of seeing my friends in the morning of the resurrection cheers my soul and makes me bear up against the evils of life. It is like they are taking a long journey, and on their return we shall meet them with increased joy. He's going to uh, go on in another instance and say, God has revealed his Son from the heavens, and the doctrine of the resurrection also. And we have a knowledge that those we bring here, God will bring them up again, clothed upon and quickened by the Spirit of the great God. And what mattereth it, whether we lay them down or we lay down with them? When we can keep them no longer, then let them sink down like a ship in the storm. The mighty anchor holds her safe. So let these truths sink down in our hearts, that when that we may even here begin to enjoy that which shall be in full hereafter. Uh, 
Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to Almighty God. That rays of light begin to burst forth upon us, even now. I cannot find words to express myself. I am not learned, but I have as good of feelings as any man. Oh, that I had the language of the archangel to express my feelings once to my friends. But I never expect to in this life. When others mourn, when others rejoice, I rejoice. When they mourn, I mourn. This, uh, like I said, this focus on the resurrection of Joseph Smith generally is on the happiness of the day for saints when they are resurrected. And the quote that was shared, or at least the paraphrase that was, was shared, does not really come up in any of these Joseph Smith stated sermons that you find on on the website. But as I dug through uh, some various things trying to figure it, figure out the origin point of this, I think I hit upon um, what I was looking for. Um, and and that is uh, a conference to address that Joseph Smith gives uh, in, October of 1843. So October of 1843. Now what's interesting about this is this conference talk does not have a good manuscript version of it. What I mean by that is um, often we have uh, conference talks where, you know, Wilfred Woodruff recorded it in his journal and then later, some portion of it is published in the Times and Seasons. Or Joseph Smith has it recorded in his journal by one of his scribes. Or Thomas Bullock or, or, or Willard Richards. You know, at some point, Richards puts down the 17 guns that he has, picks up a pen, and begins writing. In this case, this conference talk is not something that we have an extant manuscript version of, meaning... Uh, a handwritten version of it. Our earliest version, in fact, appears to be the published version that's in the Times and Seasons, um, the, the church's newspaper. That being said, it is an account of the conference, uh, the the 6th through the 9th of October, 1843. So I'm going to read this because it is pretty, well, I don't want to say jargony. I mean, it, it's very... There's a lot of words here, which sounds pretty funny when you're about to read something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of words yeah, in this thing I'm about to read. There's going to be a lot of words here, possibly some sentences. <laughs> there may even be a paragraph or two. What I mean is uh, I want to try to put it in context um, where I think this quote is coming from. To do that, I want to read the whole part of this. And so it's going to be a minute. Um, but. Uh, this is from the afternoon session of that conference. So the afternoon session of that October conference, um, Joseph is going to uh, address. And you can tell that even though a lot of what is being related is is certainly what Joseph said, it, it is not a verbatim explanation of what Joseph said. There's some pretty key indicators there that it's not verbatim, but let me just read it. Conference reassembled and listened with profound attention to an impressive discourse from President Joseph Smith commemorative of the decease of James Adams Esquire, late of this city and an honorable, worthy, useful, and esteemed member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, James Adams is, is one of Joseph's good friends, and his death occasions multiple uh, statements that Joseph gives on, on the resurrection. Um, but you'll also notice that already this account is being given in third person, right? So this is not, unless Joseph is talking about himself the same way some athletes do, um, you, know, you know, Joseph just thinks that Joseph's <laughs> got to get things ready for the finals, um, then it is not a verbatim account. It is someone giving a report. Again, that doesn't mean that the sentiment doesn't come from Joseph, but there is kind of a difference, right? If you listen to this podcast and you hear me say something and you tell someone Garrett said this, 
That's actually different from you telling that to your friend and then your friend repeating it to someone else who didn't listen to the podcast, which I'm assuming is literally everyone else, right? So one person says it, any person they talk to is someone who hasn't heard it on the podcast. And so if that person were to talk to someone else, yes, they would kind of be quoting me, but more likely they would be reflecting whatever the sentiment was. So it's important you know that, that, that there is a difference there. And again, we know that it's not Joseph writing in first person because as it as it leads out uh, after the portion I already shared, he spoke of the importance of our understanding the reasons and causes of our exposures to the vicissitudes of life and of death and the designs and purposes of God and our coming into the world, our sufferings here and our departure hence. So again, this is in third person. Joseph talked about these things. Now, maybe he's using some of the same words. Maybe he's not. But this account that's published in the Times and Seasons is trying to give a summary rather than trying to get trying to cover it verbatim. But but again, to continue the quote. It is re- but reasonable to suppose that God would reveal something in reference to the matter. The ignorance of the world in reference to their true condition and relation. Reading the experience of others or the revelations given to them can never give us a comprehensive view of our condition and true relation to God. Knowledge of these things can only be obtained by experience in these things through the ordinance of God set forth for that purpose. He remarked that the disappointment of hopes and expectations at the resurrection would be indescribably dreadful, that the organization of the spiritual and heavenly worlds and of the spiritual and heavenly beings was agreeably to the most perfect order and harmony, that their limits and bounds were fixed irrevocably and voluntarily subscribed to by themselves, subscribed to upon the earth, hence the importance of embracing and subscribing to principles of eternal truth. He assured the saints that truth in reference to these matters can and may be known through the revelations of God in the way of his ordinances and in answer to prayer. So you can see that that is a very, uh, it's a fairly complicated uh, write-up of what Joe's was saying. And in, in all places, none of it becomes a direct first-person quote. It is always, he said, he said, he said, but then not really a direct quote. This is what he taught about. He taught about this. He taught about this. He taught about this. And so I assume that the reference that's being made is to, he remarked that the disappointment of hopes and expectations at the resurrection would be indescribably dreadful, which is somewhat similar to the the statement that um, that it was uh, going to be a, a painful day, essentially, at the resurrection for some people who thought that they were going to obtain a different resurrection than the one they obtained. You can see, though, that it's not exactly the same, and here I am trying to do just a little bit of implication. In this quote that I just read, Joseph isn't referencing the vision of the resurrection that he had, but I just read to you the quote, of Joseph Smith explaining that he did have a vision of the resurrection. That was from another talk at another time. So you can kind of see how, how, how this would happen. Now, this is going to be published in the history of the church, and the history of the church is, of course, going to become widely disseminated. So I think, I think that's what's going on there. Now, while it's not exactly the same, I mean, you, you can see that there's a sentiment that is similar. I know that you even said yourself at the beginning, well, I know I shouldn't have memorized a single quote and kept sharing it over and over again. I always do think that that's a a pretty wise counsel, especially when we're dealing with sources that not all of them are exactly the same. Something that we really want to hang our hat on, hopefully we can find other sources that cooperate it or that it's said more often. 
I mean, Joseph talks about the resurrection day being a glorious and happy time over and over and over and over and over again. Here in this one conference report, the summary of what he said talks about for some people it being a time of indescribable, uh, in, being indescribably indescri- dreadful. So it might be helpful to reread the Marion G. Romney quote. Sure. Because now you've provided the context. You read it, and then I'll read the Joseph. Okay. So this is page 43 of the the (laughs) 1940s. Because everyone's grabbing their 49 (laughs) conference report. Uh, Yes. We might take a lesson from an account given by the prophet of a vision of the resurrection, in which he records that one of the saddest things he had ever witnessed was the sorrow of members of the church who came forth to a resurrection below that which they had taken for granted they would receive. And then the other quote from the conference uh, from, from 1843, he remarked that the disappointment of hopes and expectations at the resurrection would be indescribably dreadful. So there, there are a lot of similar... Uh, Sorrow, dreadful. Right. The, the idea of disappointment. I mean, that there would be a disappointment of hopes, you know, that there was a hope that someone would have a different, different resurrection. And I think that's what I'm guessing is what is being referenced. So, I mean, it is being taken from something that was spoken or at least was reportedly, uh, it was relayed as part of Joseph Smith's sentiment in a talk that he gave in 1843. You can see how sometimes when you're trying to piece these things together, you don't get an exact answer one way or the other. Um, at other times, all you can really do is say, it's possible that this thing occurred or didn't occur. I'm asked all the time uh, by people who have some aspect of their family history that's very special and important to them, did this really happen? Do you have evidence of X happening or do you have evidence of Y happening? I was asked uh, recently about um, someone who uh, was, again, from a, a distant, you know, ancestor, basically, that their great-great-great-great-grandfather was someone who was in Nauvoo, and in their family history, it talks about how he saw the Urim and Thummim, or or the seer stone that Joseph had in Nauvoo. Now, by the time Joseph's in Nauvoo, he apparently doesn't have the same, you know, two bound-together stones that were found with gold plates. They appear to have been given back with the plates when, when Joseph gives those back to the angel. So the the best way to try to corroborate something like that is if there's some kind of contemporary source. So if grandpa is telling this story about his interaction with Joseph Smith 50 years after the fact, well then, you know, hopefully you can find that there's some kind of earlier source. Is there a letter that you wrote this in? Is there a journal that you wrote it down in? Most of the time, though, when people are reminiscing about their earlier life, there simply isn't another source. If I were to reminisce about all of the failures of my life (laughs) outside of other people commenting on them in their journals, you wouldn't be able to corroborate them from something that I wrote. That wouldn't mean that I wasn't still a failure at many portions of my life. So this is where you kind of get this delicate balance as a historian. The fact that something is an uncooperated, reminiscent account does not mean that it is false. At the same time, historians have to be keenly aware of the fact that oral traditions passed down through people who really care about them do have a tendency to change over time. Now, that the change doesn't have to be malicious at all. But sometimes those changes are important. Sometimes those changes actually make a difference. And sometimes an error just gets perpetuated like the game of telephone, right? Uh, when, When Parley Pratt wrote in his autobiography that God gave him the revelation to go to the Shakers and he dated it March of 1831, Parley Pratt was 100% wrong. Now he was writing this, you know, more than two decades later, and yes, he did go on a mission to the Shakers, 
But what he was using as a source for the date of that revelation was a published version of the revelation which had incorrectly listed the date. It's very simple for minor issues like that to creep their way into reminiscences. I mean, it's not like Parley Pratt didn't go on the mission. We know that he went on the mission. It's not like he didn't receive the revelation. We know he received the revelation. But when that revelation happened, that was a little bit more obscure. Pratt doesn't think that there's any reason to question the source he's looking at, but he doesn't know that the source he's looking at has an error. Similarly, you can see how in a family history, things can go from a one-time occurrence to being a multiple-time occurrence, or things can go from possibly having occurred to having occurred, where someone might say something like, grandfather lived in Nauvoo, and he might even have met the prophet Joseph while he lived there. To eventually that story becomes, grandfather lived in Nauvoo and met the prophet Joseph while he was there. To eventually, grandfather met the prophet Joseph and the prophet Joseph said, right? You can see that progression. And and again, not really with any malice. It's the nature of oral histories as they are passed down that they change over time. Sometimes those changes actually are important and problematic. Sometimes they're just minor things like what date did this happen? So uh, as, as this family asked me, you know, and they said, you know, this is really special to us. It's really important. You know, I, I told them, look, I, I can't cooperate whether or not that happened, except I can say that Wilfred Woodruff in a contemporary document, in his own journal, in December of 1841, wrote in his journal that Joseph Smith showed him the Urim and Thummim stone. That doesn't prove that Joseph Smith also showed it to your ancestor, but it does mean that we have a corroborating evidence that during the same time period that your ancestor is relating this happened, Joseph was showing it to other people. Again, that, that may not mean that it's 100%, but I, I think it's at least possible and reasonable. Now, when it comes to things like angelic visions and miracles, then we always have to remember that those are by definition not provable. If you have a family history that your great-great-great-grandfather saw an angel, the only thing I can do as a historian is see whether or not your grandfather ever wrote about that in his own writings while he was alive. If the only source we have on it is his great-great-grandson saying that he had heard throughout the family history that great-great-grandfather had seen an angel, well, now that source is a little bit less authoritative. Let me give you a real-world example of where this can be a very big deal. I have a, a good friend of mine who is a geneticist, uh, like not just like, you know, working in ancestry part time. Like he has like a, he read a blog and now he knows about yeah, no, like about everyone else in the Book of Mormon. Well, he became an expert because he has a YouTube channel and he knows when the fourth feather happened. <laughs> but uh, he uh, has a Ph.D. in genetics. OK, so I don't know how much math he had to do for that but I know it's more math than I will ever be able to do worlds without end. Um, and part of his research that he did was he did DNA testing on people whose family histories claimed were descendants of Joseph Smith's plural marriages. Now, again, we're never going to actually talk about plural marriage, but this is another way to talk about plural marriage without actually talking about plural marriage. Yes. Yeah. Um, in the late 19th century, it was the exact opposite of what it is today. 
Today, everyone is wishing that Joseph never practiced plural marriage or ever taught about plural marriage, and multiple leading apostate groups have in fact convinced people that Joseph never taught or practiced it, and that plural marriage was some giant conspiracy invented by Brigham Young and others uh, many years later. Now, no historian believes that. And by historian, I mean actual historian with actual PhD credentials. They all believe the evidence is overwhelming that Joseph Smith both taught and practiced plural marriage. But the reason why these apostate groups are able to get people to follow them when they say that he didn't is that's exactly what people want to believe. Now, the late 19th century, the 1880s, 1890s, 1900, the, the feeling of members of the church was exactly the opposite. Now, they, of course, were mainly still living in an era when plural marriage was being practiced. When the reorganized church was attacking our church, saying that we were a bunch of false apostates because Joseph Smith never practiced plural marriage, and these people had been defending plural marriage for 60 years at this point. Well, some of, if we go all the way to 1900 for that long, but maybe for at least 50 years. People in Utah during that time period were not trying to hide whether or not Joseph Smith practiced plural marriage. They were trying to prove it, their own connection to the prophet by way of plural marriage. And family histories from that time all the way up until now related things like, well, we are actually descended from Joseph Smith's plural marriage to so-and-so. We are actually related uh, to Joseph Smith from his plural marriage to this woman and then to this woman. And there are several families that made these claims. My friend did DNA testing to determine whether or not these families were, in fact, descended from Joseph Smith. They had all kinds of family history resources that said that they absolutely were. And so I think my friend assumed that what he would find is that they absolutely were. What he found instead was that none of them were. Not just one of them wasn't, or two of them weren't, that none of them were. Now, that's not to make an argument that Joseph Smith didn't practice plural marriage. That's Again, the evidence is so overwhelming that, um, that that's, that's a completely separate argument. But the point is, a family history had developed and had been passed down year upon year, generation to generation, and have been taken as absolutely true when, in fact, it, it, it wasn't. I don't know how it ended up getting to the point that it was. Generally, the families that had, you know, the, the women that they claimed they were descended from were certainly some of the plural wives of Joseph Smith, but that they were the plural offspring was the was the the question, and in fact, they weren't. So sometimes there are ways of actually checking and verifying things like that. In other cases, there is not. I recently received uh, an email from someone asking if I could help verify what was purportedly a really old letter written by their great-great-great-grandfather about uh, the history of the Urim and Thummim. Well, I went to look at the letter, and as I went through it, I recognized things that made it so that it could not have been written by the family member that these people purported had written it. They claim that this family member who had written it was a contemporary of Joseph, lived in Nauvoo, and that was powerful to them. And yet, as you went through the letter, as I went through the letter, what I found was the letter or this article, really, this, this statement, was quoting sources that didn't exist until roughly 50 years after, after this person had passed away. Now, I'm sure that is a pretty disappointing thing going back to the family who really treasure this document and really believe that it was written by their great-great-great-great-grandfather who was a contemporary of Joseph Smith. But sometimes there are things that, that make it irrefutable. In this case, um, the person who wrote this gives multiple quotations from the scriptures 
citing section and verse. The problem is the section and verse that they are citing was not so sectioned or so versified until long after their their ancestor had died. Um, And so I know that it's, I mean, like I said, Angie always calls me a dream crusher, and I don't mean to be. At the same time, it can have devastating effects on someone's testimony. If they really believe that something happened a certain way in the past, and in the end, it didn't actually happen that way. The point isn't to say, well, look at me, I'm so much smarter than you are. The point is to help people understand that not every source is created equally, and not every source can be as easily traced back to its beginnings. In the case in point here, there certainly is some kind of sentiment that Joseph reportedly said, in you know, as a secondhand account here of what Joseph said, but the word-for-word word phraseology, which I don't think uh, Marion G. Romney was going for word-for-word word phraseology there. It sound, seems like he's paraphrasing. Um, it doesn't seem to have been said exactly the same way, or at least we don't have an extant record of it being said exactly the same way. It doesn't mean that the teaching or the sentiment is not true. It just means that you should always be aware of what the source is that you're quoting when you decide to quote it. Maybe we'll cover this in a little bit more depth on our next episode, and I will give a really, well, possibly very painful example. Well, that one that one will be a dream crusher if you do that one. Should I should I just not do it? No, do it. Tease it here I and then do it. I need people to write in letting me know whether or not I should crush people's hopes But we need you to write in right now because we're about to possibly do well, that may, episode. Maybe. We're going to wait to see what everyone has to say. We're going to pull the audience, and then like any good you know, North Korean style dictatorship, <laughs> do whatever we want to do. So anyway. here's the thing with that, it, uh, is that that particular quote is one that is, it's a lovely, beautiful quote that has been quoted a lot and that people love and it, and it just sounds great, but you're going to talk about potentially about where it comes from and the, the depending on the response from our audience. Okay. All right. Do you want to be, do you want to have your dreams crushed? Well, they could just skip that episode. I, I'm, I assume they're skipping all episode. <laughs> They're skipping this episode. How are they even going to know to write in? That's right. It's true. Maybe they just skip to the last five minutes of every episode. Well, people say that a lot. I skip the first 15 and get to the meat of it, which is, yeah, that's kind of the point. Which is usually the next episode. That's true. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. And again, thanks for your question, Jeff. Hopefully we answered it at least somewhat satisfactorily. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast. Hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.